iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Oliver Kay, Alison Rudd, and, because you had trouble getting out of bed this morning, Mr. Paddy Barkley. Today we'll discuss Manchester United's visit to White Hart Lane and Arsenal's win over West Ham. We'll also be taking a look at the credibility and practicalities of financial fair play. So please join us for the next 35 minutes or so. Okay, one TV company described it as, uh, I think it was like Derby Hat Trick Day or something, but um, we won't be talking about the Birmingham Derby or the Liverpool Derby or indeed the uh, um, Northeast Derby in our uh, Premier League review because we're going to talk about Spurs and Manchester United first. And uh, one thing that that jumps out at me straight off the bat was uh, uh, that... I thought Spurs kind of had the better of this game and maybe didn't create the better chances, but certainly I thought held the pitch better, took it to took it to United, and I thought United seemed kind of happy with uh, with the point. Um, Patty, yeah, that's uh, absolutely my reading. Um, I think Spurs showed that they can play football against anybody. Uh, okay, Manchester United might not be the best ever Manchester United side, but the best England has to offer this season. Um, and yeah, I think as you say, they they held the field. They uh, they looked they looked comfortable. They played this, the sort of football they would play against anybody else, um, and that was very important um, given the history of Manchester United Tottenham games. But um, at the end of the day, um, it's 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 two points dropped for Spurs, um, and one further step towards Manchester United champions. It was a surreal game, I thought, because I thought it was a cracking game. It was. A really cracking game. And yet, the stats kept coming up, you know, only three shots on target. And you thought, oh, but it doesn't feel like a game with any three shots on target. And, well, no, three shots and one on target halfway through the first half. It was, it was, it was, it was a peculiar game because it felt, it felt quite one-sided. It felt like only one team would score. And yet the stats made out that probably Manchester United were the stronger team on the day. Ollie, do you, do you buy this uh, this analysis from Rudd? Yeah, I, I, I thought the first 20 minutes was terrific. I mean, it, it was end-to-end, and, I mean, more more towards the uh, United goal, in fairness, but it, but it, it was end-to-end. Both teams were looking um, like they meant business. And I, I thought it just... May, maybe it was a case of United drawing a sting out of the game slightly. I, I thought Spurs lost a little bit of momentum towards half-time. And the second half... 
Um, I th- well, okay, I think it, 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 it went out of steam a little bit, and then Spurs had the um, sort of late flurry, as, as indeed United did after Rafael something off. But looking at it, looking at the league table, you would not think that uh, United were eight points ahead of Spurs, having played a game fewer. I mean, there, there doesn't look like that kind of gap between the teams. I know um, Redknapp feels that Spurs are in the title race. I, 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 I think it. It shows at the moment. I mean, I, I think yesterday shows that they look like equals man for man, but um, United just seem to pick up points when they don't play well and seem to. Um, Spurs don't quite have that clear instinct, I, I don't think, and they didn't yesterday at least. I thought Spurs uh, uh, were very good uh, defensively, the, 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 the central defensive partnership um, for for the first time I think in a, in a while against a big opponent look, to me looked really solid but um, speaking of defenders I mean Ollie touched upon it there Raphael sending off I thought was this shades of the Bayern Munich game last year where uh, where he did get a silly sending off which incensed Sir Alex but is the kind of thing that you know you would expect with a little bit more nous and maybe a little bit more experience you don't pick up a second yellow that way or or, or, or was it or was it maybe the right call or was he treated harshly Patty well, I think uh, the, the, the lad's got a problem. I mean, he's, uh, his temperament's terrible. He, he, he's, his eyes glaze over, you know, and uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, normally, players lose their temper, and, uh, you know, you, they, you can see almost see the, 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 the brain cogs swearing as they compose themselves and uh, re- regain their concentration. Uh, he's a bit of a serial offender, um, as you, you pointed out the, the Munich instance where he was a stupid sending off and, and some fairly foolish comments from Ferguson afterwards, um, which verged on the xenophobic. I, I think that um, I think that, that Raphael has, has, has developed into a superb uh, modern fullback uh, this season. The only slight problem would be that. Um, you know, opponents will be aware that you might United have two small fullbacks, which you can't always get away with in the modern game. But uh, he looks like a terrific uh, prospect. But the temperament is a real problem. You know, he's been—I don't know how many games he's played, but it must be 50 now, and it should be getting better. But you know, he's—he's—he's he's, he's young, and he may, may learn. Do you think? Do you think Ferguson should have taken him off at half time? God, definitely, yes. Um, I think that I don't know who was on the bench. I'm trying to remember who was on the bench, but uh, um, I think it, you know it was it was pretty obvious that he was he was on borrowed time uh, from the first yellow card, which could. I mean, it was a bit orange. I thought um, it, was a, it was a horrible challenge. Um, yeah, exactly. The nature of the challenge and the fact that he was up against Bale, who, you know, is tricky throughout a game. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like a no-brainer that yes. you, you would take him off. But, I agree. Um, well, hey, just uh, uh, on that point, uh, United had uh, Smalling and, and Johnny Evans on the bench. So I guess there was no natural right-back replacement unless mm-hmm. you wanted to start messing around with putting Fletcher uh, uh, right back. Uh, um, Ollie. Um in Rafael's defence, I mean, the, the, the second yellow card did look rather trivial. Uh, also in his defence, I think if you look at his disciplinary record, the yellow cards have uh, sort of dried up a little bit this season. It, it's just that when he committed that sort of fairly wild challenge, it wasn't a two-footy challenge, but it was a wild challenge that was certainly worthy of a card in the first half. You just looked at him and you thought, well, he is an excellent waiting to happen because he's got Gareth Bale taking him on. You know, Tottenham have people that will run at him. 
And uh, although United have this great sense of injustice over the red card, and you heard Ferguson's remarks, and you saw Raphael's reaction, which I thought was um, bordering on the uh, disrepute charge, um, you know, the, the, the way he confronted the referee. If you look at it, yes, he pulled his hands away, uh, and so it looked like he didn't he, he didn't bring him down, but he, he did run across the guy. I, I think he knew what he was doing, but I don't think he thought he, he would get a second booking for it. I, I think as well as being rash, he had a slightly cynical side, and I think that although he won't, might not always expect to get a yellow card for that, I think he knew what he was doing. So there you go, he's a thoroughly nasty piece of work. We've just ruined his career. <laughs> Moving on to a match that Allison attended on on Saturday night, uh, West Ham and Arsenal. Um, now there was quite a dramatic build-up to this game uh, uh, regarding uh, the, the the West Ham manager Avram Grant, but I want to start with Arsenal because I kind of feel that if Fermanland were fit and playing at Fermanland levels. Arsenal would probably be my favorites to win the Premier League title this year. Based on what you saw, Alison, and on what you know, um, would I be wrong? No, you'd be right, I think. Um, yes. <laughs> it's just the first time we've ever agreed, Kev. Um, no, they, because Arsenal were, they were playing third, fourth gear, certainly not fifth gear, and uh, tearing into what obviously is a very weak West Ham side. Um, every, you know, the, the Arsenal were the Arsenal everyone loves. They were, they were playing beautifully weighted passes they all looked completely singing off the same song sheet in harmony Walcott looked like the player we always hoped he would be Van Persie looked like that big strong centre forward that no one can deal with they had everything except at the back they looked a little uh, tentative and a little overindulgent and gave West Ham the odd moment of hope when they should have had absolutely none and you I mean Vermaelen is a, a super, quite superb player who, who made an instant impact when he came here which, which is rare indeed and um, a, a very impressive centre back and if, if he was there they would be they would be leading the table now undoubtedly Ollie I, I think it can take time uh, it can take some time for, for a centre half um, to, to, to settle in, uh, in in the Premier League especially one maybe who comes from comes from France uh, and, and a small team in, uh, in France at that like Laurent Koscielny but I get the sense that he's playing better now than he was at the start of the, of the year, but I go back to this. Given the difficulties that, that Scalashi uh, has had, um, is, is it Koscielny Giroud partnership? Is that Premier League winning material to you? Well, when um, Alison was talking about um, uh, Van Allen just now, I, mean, I, I, I agree he's, he's, a, he's an excellent player, but I, I thought. Um, in the summer with with Gas and, and others leaving, I, I thought they needed to um, sort of the, the, the partner for Vermaelen. I, I thought needed to be somebody more dominant, more assertive, more physical than than Vermaelen. I, I don't think he's particularly that kind of player. He's a fantastically elegant and intelligent defender, but I thought they needed somebody more dominant. And, and they've got the, the, the guys they've brought in, Kashani um, and uh, Skilacci, and they've got Juru. Sort of, they're trying to um, regenerate him and, and 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 get you know get him looking like the, the player he was meant to be when he was 18, and they they just lack really dominant central defenders. They lack a dominant goalkeeper. You could say they lack really dominant um, central material players. Yet the talent is the talent there in their team suggests that they will be um, they will be challenging. So I mean, you, you do wonder just how good a team they would be with with, with those players that they lack, but. Um, 
think they're, I, I think they're challenging, you know, that, and, and, and will continue to challenge. But it, it's just that you think that uh, those weaknesses in um, central defence in, in goal will resurface over the course of the season. Paddy, I, I want to ask you on the back of what Ollie said. I mean, you said you sort of lamented the lack of a, of a dominant central midfield yeah. player. Is Alex Song this season really that much worse or that much less dominant than than Darren Fletcher, given the season Fletcher's been having? No, I I, I think Song has developed into a very, very good player. Uh, the only um, reservation I would have about him is that as he has developed um, and as you know, fresh layers of talent have been unveiled, uh, he's become less of a holding, less inclined to play as a holding midfield player. Uh, which, of course, is where he should play. Um, and and, and they've had to bring in the um, uh, De Nielsen, you know, to, to do a lot of the sort of donkey work. But uh, I think that... Uh, I don't think there's a problem with the Arsenal midfield anymore. I really don't. And I think that the, the problems are all entirely... Uh, goalkeeper and two centre backs. You know, I, I was thinking about this. That you, you know, it's very rare if you go back over the history, the modern history of British football, to find a team that uh, that hasn't had those, hasn't hasn't had excellent players in those positions. If you look at how Ferguson built it. Manchester United. It wasn't until he formed the unit of Bruce Pallister and Schmeichel that uh, Manchester United developed a look of invincibility. I mean, it's uh, you know you look at George Graham how he built at Arsenal and how what he bequeathed to Arsene Wenger. You know you need to have those positions uh, filled by outstanding players. Okay, you might say Barcelona has always done that, but they're a special case. Uh, certainly in, in British football, you, you it's very unusual to win titles. Without standing players, without outstanding players in those positions. Your thoughts on Arsenal's title challenge? Um, the thing about Arsenal is, is that they won't draw games like United. I and mean, if you look at if you look at the, the, the league table, I'm just looking now. They've drawn four out of twenty-two. Uh, uh, you know, they, it, it's either. I mean, generally they, they they win a lot of matches. What is it? Uh, 13. They, they've won 13 matches, which is more than United. I think they will continue to win more matches than United. It's just that they're likely to um, they're likely to lose an awful lot more. Uh, I see Arsenal challenging. I really do. Um, I, I don't think they're particularly special. I don't think they've particularly rectified the weaknesses of, of, of previous seasons. But the bar is lower than it has been in the title race for for a few years now. I, I I do see Arsenal challenging. Do I see them winning it? They wouldn't be my favourites, but yes, certainly challenging. I'd, I'd, I'd fancied them at the start of the season just for the title, <clears throat> just ahead of Chelsea, funnily enough. Um, so, um, you know, probably got both of those wrong. I, But I... I I do feel that there's a resilience about Arsenal. I, I, I find it extraordinary when people question their mental strength. Uh, I think they're a very, uh, they're a very tough bunch uh, in that they they believe in their their way of playing and they rather like Barcelona. You know, they're they they're, they're fighting for more than a manager. They're fighting for a way of uh, a way of life. You know, it's, uh, um, it's and it's a good thing to have. You know, some people hate the word philosophy in football, but uh, it, it is a very important thing to have. Look at Stoke. Uh, look at the success of Stoke. The relative success. It doesn't matter what your philosophy is, as long as you have one. Um, so I think that to that extent they will be resilient and. Uh, 
Uh, I, I, I would like them to win the league. I certainly would like them to win a, a trophy because I'm so bored with people <laughs> counting the minutes since Arsenal won a trophy. Um, well, a team that uh, hasn't won a trophy in a while, although might yet do this year, uh, are, are West Ham. Now, I... I need some guidance here. Now, it was, it was obvious to that Avram Grant's position was in jeopardy. So Saturday afternoon, you flick on, I, I flick on the, the West Ham, uh, the West Ham Arsenal game after, after going to Stamford Bridge, and everybody's talking like, "Oh, so it's a case of when, not if." Avram Grant leaves and is replaced by Martin O'Neill, and Martin O'Neill this and that, and Grant's gone. Now, I appreciate. I mean, contrary to popular belief, we in the media don't generally just invent things. And I also appreciate that West Ham uh, is probably the leakiest club um, in the history of English football. Um, and I also understand that one of the West Ham uh, Trinity is uh, is on television a lot and uh, former columnist uh, uh, for The Sun or whatever else. But I just wonder... Is, how, how could people report as fact, even as late as Saturday night, a match of the day, that Avram Grant had been sacked when, as of right now, 11 a.m. Monday morning, the dude's still in a job? Was, was there some colossal mix-up here where they thought that they were going to give the job to O'Neill and then he may be taking more time to think about it? Alison, you were there. You've got the inside track. Tell yeah, us. Well, well, I think what happened is that the, the board is divided at West Ham. So what do you do? If you, if you want your own so way... How is there a divided board when there's two owners? So is there, are they, does no, there's, well, there's, the, there's the, one the, pornographer... The triumvirate, as you call it, do not agree on how you get rid of Grant. Yeah, but, sorry, but Karen Brady doesn't... It, does she actually have a say in a decision like this, or would it not just be the people who actually pay the bills? She has an opinion. Right. She's holding quite a lot of sway at the club at the moment. Okay. I have to be careful how I phrase this. So you have a board that are divided... And if you want your own way, if you're if you if you're if you're at the top of an organisation and you want your own way, you f you feed a line to the media, you let information out, and you portray that information as a fact, not just one member of the board's opinion. And a certain news organisation thinks, well, if a member of the board's saying that, if someone very important at the club's saying that, it must be true. So we will go with it. But it doesn't mean that the club as an organisation, has actually decided to do what that one individual is saying is going to happen and wants to happen. You need, you need to get the manager in, you need to agree terms of severance, um, what he's allowed to say, what he's not allowed to say. You need a board that agrees you don't get rid of a manager until you've got one who's practically signed on the dotted line what his job will be. So it was bizarre that the BBC went with it because none of those things were in place. It was simply someone trying to engineer a move that they wanted to happen when there are other members of the West Ham board who are trying very hard not to seem like sack, sacking manager, sacking, sacking board members. Um, Ollie, why do they care so much whether they're seen as trigger-happy managers given that they've hired a guy who whose team is in last place, right? I mean, they're the owners, they're the money, they got to keep West Ham up. I mean, if, if you were to sack Avram Grant, nobody would say like, oh, look, you know, how horrible and how unfair, as long as you did it in, in the right way, right? Or am I wrong on this? No, I think you're entirely right. I think the handling of it is, is the ham-fisted handling of it is creating sympathy for Grant and, and ill feeling against the owners in, in a way that would never have happened had it been um, done smoothly and, 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 and clinically rather than, uh, rather than cynically. And it, 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 if you look at the, the attempt to get O'Neill, um, 
for me and from everything I understand of of, of the man and, and, and of the workings of that club, for, I mean, obviously things could change here, but one thing that, that is certain to um, put yet more doubts in O'Neill's mind is, is this kind of leaking and, and this kind of um, sort of attempts to, to to smoke him out and to smoke Avril Grant out. It, it, it's just a, 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 an enormous misunderstanding of, uh, of the situation. I mean, it, it, it ends with them towards the end of the week feeling that Avril Grant's position is completely untenable yet not knowing where to turn in, in terms of the new manager well, they will only have themselves to blame because they have handled it really really badly yeah, um, Paddy if Margaret Mountford were the chief executive of, uh, of West Ham <laughs> I'm assuming this really wouldn't be this wouldn't be happening right <coughs> sorry who Margaret Mountford yes Yes, I mean to me, she's one of she's a perfect example of the kind of chief, the best kind of chief executive. The best kind of chief executive is the one you never see. I think that um, as opposed to Karen Brady, who we, we see all the time everywhere. Oh well, you used the words Karen Brady. I wasn't going to bring that in. No, I think it's not, I, like, Karen, I, it's not like the words Karen. The train is now approaching junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And Brady are an obscenity. I think we are allowed <laughs> to, 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 to say it, right? Uh, yes, I think obscenity exactly. might, be, might apply more to uh, some of their, uh, uh, to the people who employ her, but, but yeah. that, that's another issue. <laughs> I agree. I think that that uh, that I mean it, it it's it's almost axiomatic that poor Ron Greenwood would be turning in his grave. Um, I mean, this is not West Ham uh, at all, and it's 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 very odd that um, that these two, you know, boyhood uh, lovers of West Ham, Gold and, and Sullivan, should be, um, you know, the people who were pledged to restore the club to its former glory should be. Um, dragging it to ever greater um, integrate ever greater opprobrium. Um, it it occurs to me that West Ham are going down and probably aren't too bothered about that. I mean, certainly the way they're behaving in January um, suggests almost a death wish um, or a relegation wish. Um, it, it, I don't know quite what they're playing at. Um, well, they tried to do it last year, didn't they, when they brought in uh, yeah. Mido and Benny McCarthy? But all I, all I know to... is it will it will end in the in power championship, and you know as to whether the owners are happy with that, um, 
well, we we can't look into their minds. But I tell you what, if they, I shouldn't be too surprised if if uh, they were fairly sanguine about the possibility of going down. I um j- just just to wrap this up, I, I I wanted to touch upon Martin O'Neill. Now, I regular listeners of mine will know that I, I do not share in the unquestioned uh, hero worship of uh, of Martin O'Neill, but I, I do think he's a person uh, of integrity, as evidenced by the fact that, yeah. unlike the rest of the dung heap of gutless conformity, which is most managers, he didn't go and uh, and cry to get a big payoff when he left uh, Villa. He just kind of resigned and said, thank you very much. You've been paying me until now, and I'm no longer employed to you. I'm going now. Yeah. Um I just wonder. I mean, you, you uh, Ollie touched upon it before, right? Surely he's he's an intelligent guy. He's a person who even his enemies would say has values and principles. I, he wouldn't want to go and and work for these people in these in these conditions. So how is his name being linked um, to the Aston Villa job? Uh, sorry, to the uh, to the West Ham job? Do we actually know that he's actually spoken to these individuals? Do, do we know any of this stuff for a fact, or are they just kind of plucking him out of thin air? Well, his people have spoken to their people. Definitely. Well, yeah, I think so. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. But, but the weirdest part is Martin O'Neill is a big friend of the BBC. He loves the BBC and they love him. So uh, why on earth didn't they ask him? All they did was talk to people who'd met him once on a golf course four weeks ago, saying, yeah, he looked a little depressed. Maybe he needs to get back to work. And from that, they construed that he was definitely going back, um, back into business and, and to, into West Ham. It's, it's very odd reporting. But, yeah, well, it, the thing is, the thing is, it's lovely the way these things evolve. He was, yeah... 99% of people thought that was a dead cert that Saturday at 3 o'clock Martin O'Neill was going to be um, short-term manager of West Ham by midnight and now most people are thinking why would someone of Martin O'Neill's uh, calibre and reputation do that? Alright, well just, just to terminate this I need a very quick answer from everybody. Percentage chance that Martin O'Neill is the West Ham manager uh, in, in the next two weeks. Patty? 60. Ollie? 20. Rudd. Uh, 33. Ooh. Heard it here first. Now, last week, uh, UEFA gave more details about their financial fair play plan, which uh, is actually available on the Internet. It's like a 130-odd page document downloadable in in PDF form uh, for anybody who wants to know more. But in a nutshell, what it means is uh, over over three seasons, starting with uh, the 2011 financial years, um, UEFA will be looking at clubs' profit and and losses from football-related activities. Some expenses will be exempted from it, like stadium building and and youth development. But in a nutshell, if you have losses over the cumulative losses over those three years of more than 45 million euros, then you will not be given a license to play in the Champions League or the Europa League. uh, And that'll be effective from the 2014-2015 season. Uh, The year after that, uh, the amount of allowable losses will go down to 30 million. And then after that, it will go down even further. We don't quite know how much. Uh, opinions on uh, the financial fair play, on its impact and its effectiveness are are very much divided. Um, but one person's opinion I haven't heard yet is Ollie Kay's. Ollie, good or bad? Um, I, I think it's a, it's a great principle that, that, that would stop um, clubs, you know, dicing with... Um, Passing with death and you know risking their whole future on um, 
players on big wages, etc. But I, I have to say, my my, my persistent view with, with this is that, uh, and the real problem is that it it will sustain um, an existing. It, it's very much a sort of um, measure that um, w w would mean that the rich stay rich and and, and the, the, the the poor stay poor it seems to it seems to sort of reinforce whatever class divides there are within football and if, if you look at the, the the big movers behind it it's clubs like manchester united and and, and bayern munich who, who are those who are going to be um better served by it than, than, than anybody else if you look at a club like manchester city you'll be thinking well is this designed to um to, to scrap our ambitions and to, to an extent I, I think it is there's an awful lot of things that Manchester City could say about about why they're you know, why they are run better than, than certain clubs in terms of where the investment goes uh, and so on I think some of the wages and transfer fees they pay are absurd but they haven't got huge um, interest payments going out every year like um, Manchester United have like Bayern Munich have, like Real Madrid have, and, and yet they are going to be the ones who are sort of frozen out by this because they don't have years and years of um, huge revenue streams and commercial markets and so on. It, it, it's, it's a, I, I, I can see the positives of it, but, but there are an awful lot of um, flaws in it as, as far as I can see. Paddy, you were in, uh, you were in Neon uh, uh, hanging yeah. out with the uh, financial fair play folks from yeah. uh, UEFA last week. Your yeah. take? Um, and uh, well, I, 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 the more time goes by, the more one realizes that uh, that, uh, that European football is going to be governed by um, or underpinned by by bureaucracy, um, uh, accountants and um, analysts are, are, are going to become uh, almost as important as agents. Um, it it is to a large degree unworkable simply because of the scale of scrutiny required but the there is no alternative the status quo is not an option uh, football was getting deeper and deeper into debt and more and more distorted and that clubs uh, well, if you look at the English example clubs who build gradually who have enlightened ownerships and enlightened uh, uh, financial policies such as Aston Villa and Everton find their progress blocked by the constant re-emergence of one sugar daddy after another who prices them out of the market for players. Um, if you talk to David Moyes and, or, or, or indeed Martin O'Neill about his Aston Villa experience, they both hit the ceiling um, and, and their talent um, is, is unfairly disadvantaged. Um, I mean, the, 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 there's a desperate need for financial fair play. Whether the game can actually afford, has the will to afford uh, proper policing is another matter. My, uh, ex, my, the, what I gleaned from the visit to, to Neon was that it will, financial fair play will be almost voluntary. You basically will make your books you will have them, you will offer them to uh, UEFA, and UEFA will uh, make, uh, somebody, somebody described it last night as speed bumps 
it, it's a way of catching some. Uh, it, it's it, it it won't it, it will be abused, but it's still a hell of a lot better than doing nothing. And I think also, furthermore, if you look at the leagues, which. Uh, believe in prudence and good government governance. I'm thinking in particular of the German. Uh, you don't get, um, uh, you know, the rich becoming richer and, and success becoming set in stone. Uh, if you look at Germany, it's it's probably the most meritocratic league, the league where teams like Hoffenheim, Mainz, and so on can can emerge uh, and uh, finish above Bayern Munich, who, of course, on the face of it, have the highest turnover. So I, I, I do think that experience shows that financial fair play for all the possibilities, for, for all the, the, the mud you can throw at it, is still a hell of a lot better than the free market. Uh, Alison, uh, Getting back to, just to the specific, I mean, you're, you're, you're a noted uh, leftist, so uh, <laughs> what, what I want to ask you is this. Um, by implementing uh, these rules, we're basically capping costs um, because clubs can't overspend and, and, and so on, and, and, and transfer fees are going to come down, wages are going to come down. Um, but ultimately, doesn't that benefit the owners uh, uh, above everybody else and I refer you to what Arsene Wenger said on Friday which he said people have a problem with footballers making so much money but football generates so much money um, if the players were paid less it would just be more profit for the owners now you may find it obscene that Wayne Bridge makes 90,000 pounds a week but is that more obscene than say Sheikh Mansour being born with uh, uh, 500 billion pounds and then going and spending them and he'll just make even more money now won't Oh, such big issues, Gerb. Um, I agree with Ollie. I think I find I find the whole the Platini's vision. I find it very odd. It seems to be that he's going to take an arbitrary point in history, and he's deciding the clubs that are big at this point in history will stay big, and there'll be no change ever again. Because the only way you can revolution truly revolutionise a club's fortune is to allow it to have some influx of money so it can attract. Um, sponsors and it can attract players and it can build stadiums and that means the people who exist who are big will always be big Alison, can I can I just can I just insert a few facts here? Stadium build debt for stadium building and youth development and many other things is perfectly legitimate under financial fair play. There is nothing in financial play, fair play that will stop Manchester City. Absolutely nothing. This is a myth. Um, actually, sorry, Patty. If, if I if I can interject on that, not only um, is is debt on stadium building and youth development not counted against uh, the um, uh, against the FFP profit and loss, but. Unlike um, uh, unlike the movement of the, unlike transfers and wages, it doesn't require an equity investment. So let me give you this scenario. Going back to what you were going back before, if uh, uh, Bournemouth, uh, or, or better yet, actually, if Crawley decide that they want to build a, a forty thousand seat stadium and persuade some idiot bank to go and lend them uh, two hundred million pounds, and then they just default on all the payments and you know get their friends or gangsters. To to go and, 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 and build the stadium or whatever, um, thereby defrauding the public purse, this wouldn't be covered by financial fair play. You could still go and do that. So how is this actually protecting 
protecting fans and and and, and how is this maintaining that that social mobility that Allison was talking about? Uh, uh, social mobility. I mean, <clears throat> the ability of a club to uh, to invest and and grow is is unaffected. The pace is is uh, is affected. Um, it would probably have taken Jack Walker. Uh, longer to buy the title for Blackburn Rovers under financial fair play than it than it did. Um, it arguably, you know, might have been sustained for for longer. Uh, I I don't know. But Manchester City, the owners of Manchester City, insist that they're there for the long term. If they are, then success will come. But when it when it does, it will be in a sustainable way. The club. Uh, the club will will grow in terms of youth development, in terms of infrastructure, uh, and the, and and success will grow with it. I mean, this is the this is the intention, and I would have thought that was that was what that would be what we would want to see, rather than, in a way, much as we we found the Blackburn model uh, romantic. Um, I mean, do we do we really want it to be as uh, as much of a a, a lottery uh, as it was there, Ollie? Since you we we forced you to be silenced for so long, you get the last word. Well, I, th- I think that is the thing. It, 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 it has gone. The, the emphasis has changed completely from from de- you know anti debt to anti losses. Um, it is basically uh, the, the agenda has been gone from one being set by plastic to one being set by the leading European clubs, of which you know Manchester United I mentioned, and it doesn't quite apply to Liverpool anymore. But um, after their um, latest takeover, so but, but 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 they are you know a club who have been sort of spared or who who thought at the time they were to be spared by uh, by this. But you know it's gone from being anti-debt and anti. Um, everything that Manchester United supporters are so worried about and, and pick notes and you know the huge debt repayments that are needed etc those kind of clouds uh, over a club's future to so being anti the kind of spending that Manchester City um, and Chelsea previously have, have, have indulged in it. Now, it's not great that Manchester City and Chelsea spend so much but would Chelsea have, have had any prospect of, of getting league titles without that spending? No, they might have gone to the wall. But it's, it's, um, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know quite what the answer is. But to me, the problem with it, and the, the reason why it feels like it's being rushed through, even though we're talking about three years' time or whatever, is that they've gone from campaigning against some, one thing to campaigning against something else. And, and that, to me, seems to have come from influence from clubs like Manchester United, Bayern Munich, etc. I second everything that uh, Ollie Kay says, which uh, makes it yet another victory for the Kay Marcotti team. Actually. Time now for some quick hits. Carlo Ancelotti says Chelsea have turned the corner after beating Blackburn 2-0. Alex is back in a few weeks, which should help, and the Abramovich Ferry may yet deliver some reinforcements, possibly even Stephen Pienaar. Um, Paddy, is the future starting to look brighter? Yes, I think it is. Um, I think that the, the the notion that Chelsea would even finish outside the top four uh, now seems a little more fanciful. Uh, there was a feeling of business as usual uh, after the Blackburn game, and I completely agree that Alex has become a very, very important player. Uh, and, and, and when he's back, 
Chelsea will look much more solid. Yes, Alex, uh, usually more important when he's not there than when he is. Alan Hansen expressed doubts over his mobility and pace, but it seemed to me that Eden Dzeko did his part in Manchester City's 4-3 win over Wolves, uh, which of course keeps City in the title hunt. Ollie, are you as down on Dzeko as Mr. Hansen is? And should Mancini be happy that he won, or sad that he conceded three goals, or just sigh and say, uh, this is normal? Uh, I, I don't think many uh, Italian managers are going to be terribly happy with winning 4-3. I think, I think um, three goals conceded in, in a match like that, where they were in control, is, um, is clearly a problem for him. But as for as for Dzeko, um, mobility and pace isn't what he's about. He's, he's a guy who's got great touch, great composure, great physical threat, good in the air. And I, I, I think after a, a month out of action, I think that was a very encouraging debut. And I actually think he's got plenty of mobility and pace for for, for a guy, uh, for a guy his size. And I'm kind of disappointed that he was being judged on just the ten seconds of highlights that he watched. Liverpool and Everton share the spoils in the Merseyside derby. Allison, what's different under Dalglish, and are these baby steps going to be enough for him to keep his job? Well, Dalglish is upbeat. Hodgson was downbeat. Um, as long as fans go as long as there are bums on seats in the cop as long as they keep singing happily cheering Dalglish as long as he keeps them up then he will have the chance to be there next season otherwise no so all you got to do is be happy and jolly and that's it well I think I think well look, this is quick hits and this is a huge <laughs> question but I think I think the, the tipping point was that, that fans were not turning up at Anfield and they are now yeah Question for you. Leo Messi wins the Ballon d'Or, but you're not happy. Why? Well, I have no problem with Messi winning the Ballon d'Or, though it is a bit of a departure from, I think, some of the criteria that were applied in the past, which was to reward the uh, best performer over the course of a season rather than necessarily the best player in the world. Um, the reason I have a problem with it is because it's, it's already been established that half the people who voted for Xabi Alonso actually meant to vote for Xabi, which would have, effect, which would have uh, uh, potentially affected who finished second in this race. And I think it's also ridiculous that uh, one-third of the of, of the voters, uh, their ballots were either lost or apparently they didn't bother voting. It's still unclear. And among them includes countries like Norway, like the Republic of Ireland, like your friends in Qatar, Paddy, like the United Arab Emirates, uh, South Africa, you know, places that you would think would know how to go and vote in an election like this. And if FIFA can't organize this seriously, it does undermine the credibility. Thanks for joining us. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis. George Colkin's excellent blog on Tuesdays. Also our web chats. I do mine on Mondays. Uh, Ollie's is on Wednesdays. And remember, you can always follow us on Twitter as well. I'm on there. Ollie's on there. Patty's on there. Tony Barrett now, the latest addition to the Times writers on Twitter. Till next time, ta-ta. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.